Salutations, friends. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Recap Book Chat. My name is Kate, and this is my mom, Sheila. And we are just so excited that you're with us today. And I wanted to share a quote from Teddy Roosevelt. I am part of everything that I have read. What have you been reading? We'll share with you what we've been reading and what's at the top of our book stack. And welcome to the Recap Book Chat. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are going to dive into the book, Goliath Must Fall, Winning the Battle Against Your, Your Giants, by Louis Giglio. And this was published in 2017. And I loved this book. Thank you so much for getting it for me. I loved it. So tell me, where did you hear about it? Well, that's a cool story because I heard about that at jail. Uh, you know, um, one of the inmates had read it and she gave a little book talk on it and she said, you ought to read it. And so I, I thrift booked me a copy and you a copy. And I'm so glad you did. I think everybody needs to read this. This was so powerful. And like, okay, what would, well, can I share my biggest takeaway? Yeah. I thought this was, okay, this just this was my, what did I learn from the book? This was like, I don't know, totally changed, you know, cause we all have heard the story of David and Goliath. I mean that, you know, it's mm -hmm. from a little kid growing up, you always hear the story of David and Goliath and it's always in, presented in the way that we kind of identify with David. And it's more like, you should be like David, like go and attack your giants, go, you know, it, all of that. And that's, I've always heard that. And so what Louis does is he says, you know, David actually represents Jesus, not us. And I was like, wow, that is just a mind blow, mind blowing thing for me. So, you um, know, in the book, he says, you don't get to be David. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's like, what? So I thought that was so cool. I just and thought. I think I, think I was, inter it was interesting to know what giants he picked out too. That was mm. interesting. Yes. Because and the way he, uh, you know how sometimes you just you go one way. Like I, I read this book and in there he talked about the giants being fear, addiction, anger, rejection, and comfort. And I had heard a podcast by, uh, I wrote his name down because he was really good, John uh, Acuff, and he wrote a book called Finish. And in Louis's book, he had said that. Um, Comfort is also in there with, uh, I think it was comfort was in there with, I'm pretty sure. Oh, no, it was rejection. Rejection is also in there with perfection. And uh, so is in his book, Finish, he says, perfectionism is a poison that is pretending to be a vitamin. Ooh, oh, say that again. That's good to say. Good? say. Say that again. Oh, I, I know it's a sidebar, but it really fits kind of. Uh, uh, poison is a uh, perfection. Perfectionism is a poison pretending to be a vitamin. He says it's the sneakiest. Oh, fear is what it was. Excuse me. I found it. I found it. Fear. That's the one it connects with in Louis's book. It is the sneakiest of um, kind form of fear. Like if someone has anxiety, you pretty much know that's fear. If someone's worried, you say, yeah, don't, no, let's not be fearful. Mm -hmm. But if someone is a perfectionist, I 
you you might think they are as he says it's fear in a tuxedo (laughs) wow so i just thought that was good man that is so powerful because really i mean our society rewards perfectionism it's that's actually hailed as a good thing so and I mean, I've, I've wanted to be, you know, like some people with the, that are perfectionist, profession, have profession. I mean, it's hard to say. Yeah. So you don't have it. Per- perfectionism. <laughs> You're good. You're good. I'm good. No, I, I have other to- things. But well, you know, they about reading the Bible. He said, you know, if you're a perfectionist and you're reading the Bible and you get to Leviticus and you're on the skin diseases, you quit one day or something and you're done because you're not, it can't be perfect now. Mm. And so perfectionism, you don't give yourself the, the chance to be resilient. And he said what that was, was permission to start over. Permission to start over is actually resilience. And I said, oh, I haven't really thought of it like that but he said you know if someone's training and they're a perfectionist if they miss one day they quit yes they stop it so you're going to stop it at leviticus you're going to stop wherever you are because it won't be perfect instead of progress versus perfection you know we're not ever going to be perfect but boy when you think that does put the kibosh on a lot of things perfectionism if i can't do it perfectly well, you're, you're not going to start out perfect, you know? So anyway, there's that quote too, that says, don't let perfection be the, or what is it? Don't let good be the enemy of, I can't remember it, but along the same lines, don't let best be the enemy of good. Yeah. Something along those, like, don't, it doesn't have to be perfect. Like Mm -hmm. taking small, small, smart steps forward, even if they're not perfect, but you're moving forward. Like you said, progress. And that goes with that, um, that thing I've, I've heard about too, about happy goals versus punishing goals, happy Mm -hmm. goals. You're celebrating progress and punishing goals are, they're very strict. So it's like, Oh, you didn't read, um, 10 books this month. Oh, you're a failure. Where as a happy goal, you know, it'd be like, you're celebrating. Oh, you, you said you made, you read nine books. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Oh, on a, on a goal note. So on John, Uh, He says your goals should be, there should be this picture, this line and that the by zero is the word boring. And then way over here is the word overwhelming. And in the middle is the word inspiring. And he Mm -hmm. said, that's where your goals need to be. And another thing, you know how you feel like your to-do list is just like way too long. Like you can't do it all. Yes. And he says your imagination, you repeat this over again, over and over again. My imagination is bigger than my calendar. Mm. and then that right there removes the guilt of a long to-do list because that's never going to get done so my imagination is bigger than my calendar so but i just need to I mean, say that but it's good to write it down because even yeah. if you because i usually always do that my to, i never usually get my whole list done in a day but then i just i take what i didn't get and move it to the next day so mm-hmm. you i'm still getting more done than I would if I didn't write the list down. Oh, by that, far. Well, like yeah. on, in this in in this uh, case with with the book Goliath Must Fall, uh, it it's you know like he's he quotes in the Run Your Race. You have to run your race. Are you going to be perfect in that? No, no. You are going to have fear. You're going to and and he says that there's 366 fear knots in the Bible. There's one for every day, even a leap year. I love that every day. 366. Yes. I love that. 
And that fear can be stress, dread, tension, stomach problems, worry, nervousness. I mean, it can be a lot of things besides what we typically, the stereotype of fear, you know. I never associated control with fear until this book. I was like, oh, that makes sense. That is out of fear that you want to control things. And then the antidote for fear is faith. Yes. You just have, you know, you think, well, the only difference between David and Eliab, his older brother, was faith. David had the faith. Eliab could have went down there. Mm-hmm. But and he comes up in the book over and over again. Poor Eliab. I mean, he he, he did. He comes up on the rejection part. Because in in there, Louis says people that have been rejected tend to reject. So because yes. Eliab had been rejected by Samuel and not anointed as God's chosen one, then what does he do to David? He says, "Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep, sheep in the desert?" And then he says, I know how wicked you are and how conceited your heart is. I said, whoa, that's a lot. There's a layers of, wow, that's built up. Yes. And I, I never really thought about it being that he ties anger and rejection together. So he was angry because he felt rejected because he felt like he was the rightful one to the throne because he's the oldest. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's so many layers and so many connections to that. But did you, okay, so at the end, he talks about Eliab, though. I never, I never caught that, that he was one of David's, the leaders of David's army. He was a really high up ranking. Did you, did you catch that part? No. I mean, he wasn't the leader because that was Joab, the bloodthirsty one. No, he said, I think he said he was like third in command. So mm-hmm. he would like, he said something like he liked, he wanted to think that they, they had made, made up and, well, yeah, but. Good. But his name was said differently than um, Eliab. So there might have been like a, you know, how God changes names mm-hmm. kind of according to your calling or whatever. I, I wonder yeah, if like that happened. Jacob's, Jacob went to Israel and stuff like that. But, you know, if anyone picks this book up and you're just kind of looking at it, man, he gets you from the very beginning, from the get go. The lady yes. with the pet tiger. And she, of course, he said, who, who needs a pet tiger? But I thought of that analogy because when you when she had a pet tiger it was probably a little baby and like he talks about it was cuddly and all of us you know and that is how sin is at first it's enticing uh just like i had a little girl yesterday who you know she took a sharpie to the bathroom and drew a happy face on the toilet which is (laughs) it's new it's it's a new classroom and everybody was devastated Uh. but her you know she's like well i was and finally, when she did confess to that, she said, I was tempted. And I want to say, well, you kind of weren't tempted when you did it. You, you were tempted <laughs> before you did it. Uh, what's the motivation behind that? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Well, first of all, why are you? I'm just like Louis when he said, why did she want a pet tiger? I mean, usually you think they want attention, people that have a pet tiger. Well, my question to her was, why are you taking a Sharpie to the bathroom? Yeah, that's the problem right there. Was, that was pre that was a premeditated. Yeah, <laughs> it was a premeditated toilet graffiti <sighs> that was done. Well, I mean, we have a sharpie shortage anyway. <laughs> we always are short a sharpie. So, but I'm just. Ah, I but I love. I do love the analogy that because he said we all have giants and. Um, you know, but Jesus is that David represented Jesus. So the giants already been slayed. 
but I liked how he said too that like like a snake, a, a venomous snake, snake such as a rattlesnake or something, um, they could be dead and still harm you. They yeah. can kill you. You know, they're still very dangerous even after they're dead. There's still venom in their fangs. They can still move around even mm-hmm. though the body's dead. I was like, what a great picture of because that's kind of a hard concept. Like, okay, G- we logically we know that Jesus fought and is victorious. But at the same time, we're still struggling over here. So, like, where does that, where is that line at? And so it's like, mm-hmm. oh, so yes, Jesus has already conquered it. And we have to receive that and step into that. But at the same time, still be aware that even though the giant is dead, it, he's still dangerous. It's still going to yeah. hurt, hurt us. Well, I, yeah, and the name of that chapter was Dead But Still Deadly. And I thought yes. that was very clever, very cleverly worded. And then another one, it said, the battle is over. Yes, but the struggle continues. Uh, yes. you, you know, with a lot of things, you can battle it and it'll be over, but you still don't need to let your guard down. We're supposed to be mm-hmm. as uh, innocent as doves and as wise as serpents. So um, he, Satan is after God's glory. And even though Jesus was victorious, he's still after God's glory. And every person that he can sway is one person that won't be glorifying God. Yes. I thought that was good, too, when he said Satan's after God's glory, not us. Because a lot of times we say, oh, Satan's after me. He's after me. But I thought that was a good distinction. Like, no, he's not after us just to be after us. You're right. He's after us. So it hurts God. So. Mm-hmm. And and I think that we need. And, and I loved it when it. I love the part where he referenced um, and we all think of, you can visualize the part where, and, and it is a misnomer that you see David as uh, like a 12 year old. I mean, he's a man, Mm -hmm. he's just younger, but he, that Saul puts his armor and and Saul's supposed to be head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He still has a respectful attitude towards Saul. He said, your servant can't use this armor. And I love that hit his armor, I think God's showing us David's armor. All we need to face our giants is God. Yes. We don't need a man-made, we don't need man-made armor. Because nothing he used actually was from man other than the sling, but it had a rock in it. And, the, and then the sling was made out of leather, which is from God. So there was no like sword or, you know, something that was technically formed by man. So that's a good point. That's a really good point. But I'm and I loved the quote on 126. It says, don't waste your days. Mm. And how do you waste your days? And I kind of tied that with um, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Yes. And And, And how much do we how much you were talking the other day about mindset? And that would be what I would call giving the enemy a seat at your table. If you're talking about it over and over and that's your mantra and you're, you're giving the enemy space inside your head. Mm. Yeah. Which is, I think that's defeating yourself. You're actually defeating yourself. And I think it's, I like that he, he references Psalms 23 a lot and he's, he even gives a challenge to do that. Read it for, for 40 days, uh, morning and night. And which is I want to do that challenge. I haven't done it yet, but I thought that's so important because then you really, you're understanding every morning and every night who God is. And that truth is just going to resonate and really soak in. But, but part of that is that he prepares a table in the presence of your enemies. So, but it's up to us not to invite them to the table. Like you said, so it was like, God is preparing. He's taking care of us. There's enemies all around us, but we have a feast in front of us. 
but we get to decide who sits at the table. So I was like, you're right. We, we get to say, no, I, that's not true. I don't want you here. You know, I love the quote that said, we do not ignore the presence of danger. We declare the presence of God. Mm. So yeah, Satan's out there, but so is God and God's bigger and better. And, you know, he will, he wants us to have that free, abundant life and, and, and go back to the Garden of Eden. What was it like before the fall? That was that free, abundant life. No pain, no, you know, it was, it was perfect. And that's what God wants for us. And then what did, what happened? They bought the lie that, uh, and I, and I'm, you know, you, when you think people, people like, well, why did she have to eat that fruit? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, well, it would have been somebody. Cause as my third grader said, yeah, cause Cain killed Abel. It wouldn't have been long. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Cause I, I was actually telling my husband the other day, I'm like, it, because I like women, we have it a lot harder than men. And I'm like, I mean, that wouldn't just happen out of evolution. I don't think. But like, why is it? I mean, because literally we have a lot more things like with our body and childbearing and just the monthly things we have to deal with hormones, like all of that. And I'm just like, there, there is a reason, you know, and I think it's to kind of keep us to keep us in check almost, almost like Paul's thorn in the flesh. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, because it says that we were made to be helpers to man and, and that's a sacred duty. That the same word was used to describe the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit helps us, that type of thing. And I think there's a lot of power when a when a woman is in her role for a man. I think that's when the man can actually uh, accomplish things that he couldn't do before. Yeah, uh, you know they used to have that that saying behind every successful man, there's a, a, a supportive wife or something. Or a mom. Yeah. yeah, I mean, or it makes me a female yeah. in their life. Yeah. Yes, I think women just are very influential. They have, they have the power for great good or great destruction. You know, but sometimes that seems pretty weighty, and sometimes it's like I don't want that responsibility. But I think if we can step into that role and understand, we have a lot of influence, and to wield that appropriately, then like our we can really change our corner of the world. Of course, that reminds me of a joke where. Uh, they everybody was was visiting this alligator farm and this farmer that showed everybody the alligator farm there's a river and and he always said a million dollars to anybody who'll swim on the other side well nobody's ever done it and as they're looking right there suddenly there's a splash and this guy he's swimming across the alligator infested and he's swimming and swimming and he makes it to the other side and the guy gives him a million dollars he said i can't believe it and so later on when he's being interviewed he said uh, they said how did you jump in that water and how did you do it and he said i didn't jump i was pushed and then <laughs> said, behind every man there's a supportive one oh that's good take that to mean that every mom that encourages her son to be a man to be that you know you do they don't think they can do things and when you make them do that then they can like a little kid you know do they think that they can fall down and get back up yeah but when you grow up and you fall down it's not the same thing when you you get knocked down and you're bigger you're like i don't want to do it again that really leads into what he talked about that faith is not comfortable 
Yeah. You know what you're saying? Like her pushing him in, that's, <laughs> he was yeah. uncomfortable. And a lot of times we have to push our kids uh, to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And I thought I really liked that. And for whatever reason, it made me think of, oh, um, there it is. Faith thrives in holy discomfort. Mm, and I was like, good. yeah. And I think it's good for us to remember that. And it always makes me think of that. Um, there's that scene and it's a, it's an Indiana Jones movie when it's, he has to take a, a leap of faith. Like there's, there's this huge mm-hmm. cavern and there's one side of it where the treasure's at and he's trying to get to it. And it, everything the clue is basically saying you have to take a leap a leap of faith and he so he has to step out into nothingness which could be his ultimate death and he lands on this invisible plank and i'm like that's really faith you know that Mm -hmm. it's it's that's not comfortable and it made me think of the movie the perfect race because she made her uh, the coach made the girl run in the rain and it was uncomfortable and 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 also that kind of tells you that you know some things in the Bible, because it says, uh, you know, he, I think he quotes Second Corinthians twelve ten, when we're delight in hardships, and when I am weak, I am strong. Well, she explains that in the movie because that doesn't sound right. When I am mm-hmm. weak, I am strong, but you are if you consider if you do hard things, then guess what? You can do hard things. You get yes. better at doing hard things, and you don't want to give up on a hard day. Jesus had a lot of hard days. And yes. he didn't give up. And Paul I, didn't either. I think part of it too is us the the saying when I'm weak, I am strong is admitting our weakness. Oh yes. Because otherwise we're in denial and we're trying to put mm-hmm. on this front and nothing gets done. You're ignoring it. And so, but when we say I'm weak, when we confess that, when we when we bring others in to help us, then you get stronger. So and that was so strange in addiction because, he, you know, people think when you say addicted, people think of drugs and mm-hmm. alcohol and stuff like that. But he's saying uh, always seems like people always need to have something going on and we need to be, uh, you know, he, he talked about vulnerable. And at the end of vulnerable is the word able. Yes. And God is able. But because, you know, the, it made me think people do want to have like something going on. Like, I've got to go here. I've got to, you know, people have their kids in like five different things instead of spending some just one on one time with their kids. Well, I don't know why that is. But, you know, instead of just because a kid's not going to be able to talk to you if you're running here and yonder there. But if you just sat down and maybe read a book or you know, talk, played a, played a little game or something, made some cookies together, slow it down. And but he kind of talked about that, that the root cause of addiction is pain. So the, the reason that people, do, it's to avoid pain. They're trying to either numb it out or, or ignore it or somehow get away from pain. And I thought that was so profound that he boiled it down. I'm like, that's true. Yeah. Because no one wants to feel pain, but pain is an indicator that something needs to be looked at. So yeah. yes. And I like that. He said too, we don't form our feelings in a vacuum. We are shaped by the expectation or rejection of others. Mm. So a lot of the cool. stuff that people are dealing with is stuff from their childhood. Like you kind of what you said, like, but in rejection, if you were rejected, then you're probably going to reject in some form or fashion. And he talked about that with his dad, how he kind of felt 
rejection, but his dad never felt loved. And he didn't know that until his dad was um, on his deathbed, I think. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, man, there's usually always a backstory, you know, there's a yes. backstory. Yeah. And, and he doesn't just tell you things, but he does tell you like the, uh, if you are having trouble with rejection, then you're supposed to immerse yourself in the acceptance of Christ because you were fearfully and wonderfully made. So, uh, and then if you're having anger issues, replace angry conversations with prayer, replace anger with reading God's word and see others through the eyes of Jesus. And I said, well, that made me think of the unoffendable book. I kind of connected with that because a, a totally different way to look at things. But if we go through Jesus and be like him, then, you know, we won't have, if I think you always say it when, when you're feeling you, if you have that feeling of gratitude, you're not going to be angry, but when mm-hmm. you feel entitled or you're the victim, then it's different. Then you're going to be angry or either feel rejected, poor, pitiful me thing. But if you're grateful, then that won't come up. That's so true. He said that taking down the giant of anger is really comes down to letting go of control. Cause, and I remember it like, going back to what you said, the, um, Brant Hansen's book, he, that's, he talked about that too. Some there's, we're kind of getting something out of anger, you know? So yeah. we, there's a point of it. And he talks about that too. And with all of the giants, they're familiar. We like things that are familiar. Even if we don't mm-hmm. necessarily like the giant, it's like, well, it's our pet. It's like, Oh, mm-hmm. well, we're used to it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's a good point. I mean, you do need to think about, uh, and, and I think that's where prayer comes in because, and you know, I, I think God will lead us. If you study and you, you know, like we're supposed to take up our cross daily, then he'll show us things that we might not even want to see. Oh, I think I might have a problem with that. I think, mm-hmm. I think a, a, the comfort one would really kind of, that was surprising because you don't hear, I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon about not getting too comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, you've heard a lot on uh, fear, a lot on addiction and anger, not many on rejection or comfort or complacency, you know, but God talks a lot about that. Mm-hmm. You know, what if the disciples didn't want to get uncomfortable? Well, they would have never followed Jesus. Yes. Because they nobody had a good time. I mean, a good ending uh, physically. I mean, spiritually, they had great endings. You know, people talk about Moses and they say, oh, poor Moses. He didn't get to go into the promised land. Are you kidding me? He just got to go with, to, to see God quicker. You know, yes. he, got, he, he got to go off this mortal coil or toil or whatever they call it, coil. I bet he was ready to get away from the Israelites. Yeah, are you kidding? I don't yeah. see him as even being sad. Yeah. I see him as probably doing a dance of joy. We so you guys are, joy. he's like, yeah. I'm done you with you guys waving yeah. sayonara. I'm yeah. out of here. But I, I think we have this, uh, and I don't think maybe other, other cultures are like ours, but I think we talked about that, how nobody here wants to talk about death mm, and this, yes. you know, instead of we're supposed to like, what was the verse that Paul said for me to live as Christ to die as gain. It's mm-hmm. better. To, but he's going to be here and live for Christ, but to die is gain. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think Moses was ready to go. I mean, he's like, let's go. Let's go, people. <laughs> well, you know, there's Stephen in Acts when he was given his whole speech there. 
the first Christian martyr. But I mean, he we're at that time now when if you say something, you could cause people, you could cause yourself some, basically some uncomfortable, you know, you might get an unlike or somebody might, what do you call it, unfriend you or something because mm-hmm. you, you took a stand for God. But nobody's probably going to throw a rock at you and not a bunch of rocks and, and kill you. But, well, I, I'm glad, I'm proud of you for finishing it. I know coming off of Count of Monte Cristo, your head's probably spinning, but. Uh... No, this was a good one. I'd started it in the middle kind of count, but this was a good one to come off. I like, I learned, I, I, I marked this thing up. I have so many quotes in here. I mean, like what, I like this one too. This was again with anger. We believe what, we believe what God did for us is greater than what anyone could do against us. Ooh, that's so, good. Yeah, I mean, if we can't have that mindset, I mean, that that goes, like you said, with the the unoffendable book, you know, mm-hmm. that just, it's just like, okay, it, it just keeps you unoffendable and it keeps you just open. And people, that's really what changes people. If they can see that, like, okay, what, something's different. Like, you know, you're not this offended, self-righteous, mm-hmm. whatever, you know. And why didn't this upset you, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that you're doing something, you're actively doing something. So in there, he says, run your race, which obviously I connected to uh, Secretariat because in there, her dad who has like dementia, but he says to her, he, he had a lucid moment and he said about the horse, let him run his race, darling. Man, that connects with everything. But I said, in mm-hmm. life, we're running our race right now. You, but you got to get up and run it. Like you always say, God can't drive a parked car. Mm-hmm. So you got to be doing something. It's okay to fail, but I don't think it's okay not to try. Yes. I think it's okay to fail, but man, try, do something. And everyone's journey's different and everyone's going to, everyone's at a different pace, a different place. And so, and you know, he talks about comparison being rot, stealing joy and all of that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's we just have to be okay that every you know everyone's different and like really have grace for people for where they're at i think that it yeah it said um i wrote that down somewhere that satan insisted adam and eve needed more than god that he mm-hmm. he kind of insisted that god wasn't enough yes and what what is that actually what is that the sin of comparing yes so mm-hmm. that started, I mean, he didn't ask him to steal. He didn't ask him to, you know, what was that? Actually the sin of comparing. So I would say when we get in that area to back up the train, because that's not a good place to be where you're, well, why did their kids act better than mine? Well, why did that, you know, don't, don't do that. You mm-hmm. play the hand you're dealt. You, yes. you love the kids you have. You love the job you have. It's not about. And the spouse. really. Yeah, the spouse you have, the job you have. I'm just thinking how how much of it is mindset when we kind of think, uh, you know, everything's not perfect and everything. Well, it, we live in a broken world, but still God has all the joy that we have came from God. He created joy. Mm, now, there's a yeah. lot of sin in the world. What is that? That's a perversion of the joy that he created. Like you take pornography. What is that? Well, God created sex and man created the other. Mm -hmm. So it's a twisting and it's all really fake. It's a Mm -hmm. fake. There's not going to be a fulfillment. So you can tell if you're on the right path, 
you know, because there's not going to be, you know, like I'm sure a good evening for you is like you read to your kids and you tuck them in. They say their prayers and everything. That's a fulfilling evening. Yes. You can go to bed and feel good. That's true. Think think about if it was all for you and, you know, you just, you know, uh, concentrated on yourself and all that, then you're going to, you're going to want more. Mm -hmm. You're just going to want more. You're never going to be satisfied or satiated or content. Yes. I wanted you to tell the story at the end because you are an artist and I thought you would enjoy telling the story that he told at the end of the book. That was really cool that it was, it was, I think it took place in Scotland and (laughs) there was someone and they, they were telling a story and they hit the waitress walking by knocked, was it soup? Or it was tea. A tea, yeah. Very so dark tea. Knocked tea off of this tray and it hit the wall and left a stain. And he was just apologizing, like profusely. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Da, da, da. And one guy says, gets out a pen and starts just drawing and everything and makes this outline around the stain of a deer, like with antlers and everything. And um, anyway, you sent me the picture of it and it's beautiful. Like, and he was this well-known artist and he had made out of this stain that was an accident. He made this beautiful piece of artwork. And I just thought, what a good picture. I'm so glad that he included that story. Yeah. And what an analogy of our lives. So we can have stain after stain and God can turn it into something beautiful. Yes. But I mean, if you don't have the stain, you, 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 you don't have anything. <laughs> so, you know, sure. you know the, the guy that was telling the story was, remember he was telling how big his fish was and he went, it was this big. Oh, that's and right. It, it was this big and he knocked the teapot off. So I said, yeah, that's, that's a fish. Yeah, so it's probably a lie. <laughs> so it was, it was a sin and then it got redeemed by but. a beautiful painting. And I think that also you could say, we need to be reminded to use the talents we have. Now that guy could have mm-hmm. said, really, I'm not going to draw a, something on the wall for free. I'm a yes. well-known artist, mm-hmm. but he was humble enough to say, well, this guy needs help, obviously. So I'm going to fix it. And, you know, and how many times, you know, we're, we're just a smile from us uh, could encourage someone, a, a, a total stranger. Yes. You know. Small acts of kindness are actually mean more than people think. I have noticed when I'm driving, when I leave school and I'm coming, uh, coming home, I am noticing um, all the other kids at public school, they're getting out. And that most kids like teenagers and high school, they walk with their head down mm. and they don't, I mean, and they have hoods on and they're not like not making eye contact, but because uh, I do, I just notice. I'm a noticer. I notice that kind of stuff. But the um, but Friday when I was driving home, this person looked at me and nodded their head like, and I and I waved at them like, let's make eye contact. And I went, whoa, that is different. But yeah, but I was ready at least. <laughs> I was a little shocked. But but you know, I think that's what we're, we're made for connection. We're made for relationships. Yeah. So you know, I I like that. But I, I do um, think, you know, when you share something with someone, then I, I'm thinking that helps these kids to, you know, these kids are on devices a lot and they don't have, and books can bring people together. Because you, if you're, if you talk about a book, then you have a connection. 100%. And, and that's why it's so, 
it's such a blessing to have you to talk, talk, to have book talks with, because that kind of is a connection. Even we are miles apart, we can still have a connection with the heart. A hundred percent. And I love this. And I'm, I'm so glad. And this was your, this was your baby and you started it. So I appreciate that I'm along for the ride. Well, John Acuff said, make, you know, hey, get that podcast going if you want to do a podcast. And I said, hey, I can put that off my to-do list. Check. <laughs> well, I was, I will say, too, out of all of these, which I think we all struggle with these at some point of our lives, like every single one of the things that he goes over. And there's probably more, but these are the ones that he selected. But I really thought, for me, I would have to say comfort. And because on the Enneagram, I'm a nine which is I'm a, the, the peacekeeper, you know, I really like peace. And I think sometimes that gets convoluted with comfort because uh, sometimes it's like when things feel tense, it's like, I try to, I want it to be peaceful. So I'll like, Oh, let's just get it peaceful. Let's get back to peaceful. When true peace doesn't come from avoiding conflicts, it actually comes from acknowledging them and stepping into that and dealing with things. Mm-hmm. So it, it means, so true peace comes from being uncomfortable, just mm-hmm. like, you know, the fate, like you step into the discomfort to solve the issue or problem or whatever it is. And, um, and then true peace comes. So which is a good point when you're when you are talking about the story of David and Goliath. He did not walk up to David. David David didn't walk up to Goliath. He ran. Yes. He ran to meet the giant. And I said, well, we can take that 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 God is Jesus is running with us, you know. But we don't really need to be fearful. Mm-mm. And you know, uh, because fear not. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to fear. But then in and then when it does happen and someone says something bad and we are rejected, then we should be expecting that because Jesus doesn't say if hard times come. He says when they come. So yes. this is a broken world. So we should expect what, well, you know, that happened. I, I loved it when I think it was my first year of teaching. We were um, guests. My roommate and I, we got asked to go to this people's house for um, dinner after church. And he had, I mean, they, the, the father led the prayer at, at, before we started and they had like four little kids and they were kind of like dot, 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 stair steps or something. And he's, he had just said the prayer. I mean, he just said it and then bam, someone spilled their milk. And he said, well, that is so, and he said, normal. <laughs> uh. And I thought he was going to say something else, but he said, that is so normal. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, so he was, you know, he, it, it didn't bother him and he was not upset, but you know, cause I remember thinking never punish a kid for some, an accident they mm-hmm. do. Now, if they lie to you, that's one thing, but to knock over milk, that's because we're three or four or whatever, you know? So anyway, good yeah. point. So what was your biggest takeaway from Goliath must fall? Um, I, I think I liked, um, we do not ignore the presence of danger, but we declare the presence of God, because I mm. think sometimes we just get so wrapped up in all the negativity that we forget that, like you said, the battle is won. But yes, don't go stepping on a snakehead. I, I think he said that um, don't conceal the severed head, you know, because it's dangerous. But and also just be 
really vulnerable with people. You know, mm. I think my fear, I mean, my, uh, whatever you call my thing that needs to fall. My biggest one probably was rejection. And because growing up, that was my, um, as a kid, I got, I got that a lot. My, I think mom liked older people and babies. He didn't really not like kids. So, and I could see that that is, if you immerse yourself in that acceptance with Christ, then that will, that then you can grow, but you that need heals to those wounds. Mm-hmm. But that sense of uh, low worth and uh, inferiority and, you know, and, and then that kind of has perfectionism on it too. Like I'm, if I was just perfect, then I wouldn't have been rejected. Mm. You know, that kind of, I know fear has that, but so does that. Like what did, how did I cause my parents to get divorced? You would think Mm. it was my fault. A lot of times I have kids and they'll think it's their fault. And they believe that lie. Yeah. And and I don't think the parents said that. I just think no. the, kids, the kids just project that onto themselves and it's my fault. Well, I always thought my parents didn't get divorced, but they fought like cats and dogs. And so I'd always think, what did I do to cause it? You know, mm. and my brother, he's like, you didn't do anything. That's their problem. <laughs> like, yeah. It's funny how everyone has different, I mean, different things. Y'all grew up in the same environment, but he saw things differently and he has his own, he has different giants. Yeah. But he, his take on it was a lot different than mine. And it was, yeah. He, and he thought that it was their problem, man. They seriously have a problem. You guys need counseling. <laughs> you need help. You know, but anyway, well, you think that's a wrap? I think that's a wrap on Goliath's fault. We really enjoyed it. Pick up a copy. If you haven't read it, let us know if you have read it. We'd love to, to continue this conversation in our recap book chat Facebook group. Um, there's again, there's so many good quotes in here. There's so many things he dives deeper in that we just barely touched on. So it's, it's really, I think it's a must read. So, and we really appreciate you stopping by and um, we love, we love reading and we love to share that with you. Please keep those book lights burning and those pages turning. And we'll see you on the next one.